five. Moving right along. Snail's pace. Whenever you find that, if you want to mind to stand as we read First Thessalonians chapter five. There's Amen. All right. We are starting our reading, just three verses today, in verse 16. Paul says this, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning Amen. You just pray and be done. That was pretty simple, right? What am I going to say? Probably a 15-minute sermon, you know, about this. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we're going to pray, and we'll get into the message, and the title is this, The Attitude of a Healthy Church. The Attitude of a Healthy Church. Let's pray. We'll get into it. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, particularly tonight. First Thessalonians and just how helpful it's been for our church. Thank you for the church at Thessalonica and just the testimony they were. And, and really, God, I'm thankful for Valley Avenue Baptist Church and the testimony that you've allowed us to have. And I pray that even in the heart of the text here that you'd help us to remain that way and be, uh, continue to be the church that you've called us to be and to follow you and, and be a light and a testimony to this community. And I pray that you be with the message tonight. Help me as I deliver it, that you would speak through me, please. Christ in my pray, amen, amen, you may be seated. And so if you've been with us for the past few weeks, and you know this, that we're, we're kind of in the middle of a series on how to stay a healthy church. That's kind of where the title came from. The church at Thessalonica was a very healthy church. And it was very different than many of the letters that Paul wrote, especially Corinth and others who struggled really Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica was a church that Paul was thankful for and for three chapters really just praised God for that church um, and, and how they were healthy in persecution. If you remember, they were living for God, very uh, young church, but a very heavily persecuted church. The, 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 Paul calls them their fellow citizens. The Thessalonican people did not appreciate the church, did not appreciate Christ did not appreciate the gospel, and they were heavily persecuting this young church. But, but Paul was thankful that they stayed faithful, and, and they were still having a good testimony. They were still loving people. They were still doing what we're reading about, rejoicing and praying and being thankful even in the midst of this persecution. Um, but Paul was thankful to God for them. And that was the first three chapters. Chapter 4 and 5, what Paul is accomplishing is is trying to help that church stay that way, to stay a church that's a blessing, to stay a church that's healthy. And really in the first part of chapter 4, they dealt, he dealt with sexual purity, and that's important if you want to be a church that God wants you to be, to, to have that figured out and have make some decisions that way. Um, the last part of chapter 4, the first part of chapter 5, dealt with doctrinal issues, with the rapture and with the tribulation that Paul calls it the day of the Lord. And so he dealt with some of the issues they had there. And then, really, chapter 5, verses 12 until verse 22, I think it is. Um, yeah, is, is uh, its own little section. 
and he's talking about church life itself, about when we come together. And uh, some commentators put it this way, I think it helps, is those verses 12 to 22, they call it uh, the how to, how to have a healthy flock. How to have a healthy flock. You know, God calls oftentimes the church family a flock of sheep. And he calls us sheep. And there's some reasons, good reasons, and maybe not as good reasons he calls us sheep. But God does oftentimes recall, refer to us as sheep. And he refers to church family as a flock. Uh, if you remember when Paul addressed the pastors of, the, of that area of Ephesus, of the churches there, he told the pastors to make sure that they feed the flock of God. So the, the flock of God, their, their church body, they were to feed the flock. And so uh, some commentators have called this section, How to Have a Healthy Flock. And verses 12 and 13 uh, dealt with the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. And the man of God, the pastor that he's put over the, the church there, there needs to be a healthy relationship between them two. And remember, you, you and I have to be good. We need to be, we need to be right. If there's, if there's problems between the sheep and the shepherd, then the devil can get in and really destroy a church. And so it's very important that, that, that the sheep and the shepherd are right. And, if you, and again, I, I, I'm going to say this over and over again, but if, you, if there's anything that you're like, I don't like that. I don't like how he said that. I don't like how he's leading this way. I, I don't, I'm not going to ever tell you to, to keep a critical spirit but if there's ever a problem between us, we got to deal with it. We can't just ignore that. You can't just come to church every day mad at your pastor. or every Well, every day would be cool. But every Sunday and every Wednesday, and you're, you have an issue with the pastor, no, we can't have that. We can't have that. And, and from my heart, I promise you, I don't want that. And I, I want to be approachable, and I want you to come to me if there's an issue. I'm not going to chew you out and spit you out in my office and and you know, go on Facebook and talk about how this person tried to destroy the church and stuff like that. I'm not doing that kind of thing. No, I want I want you to talk to me. And if and if you're if you're you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to talk to the pastor because I might be off. I might be wrong about this. Well, we'll just deal with that. You know, and, and I'll help you see. Maybe maybe if you're thinking wrong about this or that, I'll try to help you with that. But we need to we need to have open communication between the flock, between the sheep and the shepherd. We have to have that. Okay. All right, so that was, that was 12 and 13. Uh, 14 and 15 dealt, we, we talked about really the last two weeks, the relationship between the sheep and the sheep, right? How the sheep minister to each other. And, and I'm, I'm a sheep too, aren't I? I'm an under-shepherd, but I'm part of the flock. And so we, we need to learn how to minister to each other. And I'm not the only minister here. And Brother Tim, me and Brother Tim aren't the only ministers here. Me, Brother Tim, Brother Josh, and other men, Brother Steve, we're, you know, sometimes we like to push the ministry of the church off to what we foresee as the pillars or the leadership or whatever, but really every church member is called to ministry. And they need to minister to one another, and we dealt with that. And now we're in verses, in our verses 62, 18, it would deal then with the relationship between the sheep and the great shepherd. You see? We've dealt with the sheep and the under-shepherd, but you have to deal with the relationship between the sheep and the great shepherd. That's Christ Jesus. That's your walk with God. It's very important. These, these verses address your personal relationship with God. Now you might ask, what does my personal walk with God have to do with the health of our church? Everything. Everything. Get out of my personal life, Brother Chad. I will. Let's let Paul do it, right? And, and, but, but, but your personal walk with God means everything. 
your, if I can look at you all in the eye and point at you, not in like a this kind of way, but, but, but every one of you, your personal walk with God is vital to the health of Valley Avenue Baptist Church. If Valley Avenue Baptist Church is going to be a healthy church, then Valley Avenue Baptist Church needs to be healthy. What? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, like I've said many times, the Valley Avenue Baptist Church is not this beautiful building we meet in, although I'm thankful for it. We can call it, in fact, I'd like for us to get into a habit of calling it the church house or something, the meeting place or whatever. I mean, I'm cool if you want to call it the church, but as long as you understand intellectually that this is not, what we're in is not the church. What we're having is church. Are you following? Church, the church is the members of Valley Avenue Baptist Church who gather together in this building. And so Valley Avenue Baptist Church is going to be a healthy church, then that requires that the members of Valley Avenue Baptist Church be spiritually healthy. God is a personal God, and you cannot feed off of the spiritual health of, of the rest of the membership. You need to have a personal relationship with God. And it needs to be deep and vibrant and thriving if we're to be healthy. Yeah. The Christian life was never meant to just be lived during a church service. I say it's never been meant it's never meant to be that way, but I'm afraid, if we're honest, oftentimes it is that way. But it's not it's never been it's never meant to be that way. We're not supposed to put on a Christian face when we come to church. Who we are, listen, who we are at church needs to be an extension of who we have been throughout the week. Are you following? We come to church to learn how we're supposed to live throughout the week. This is a training ground so that we can go out and live for God out there. And too often, I think, we leave our beliefs at the door when we walk out. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Listen, God is offended when his people pretend to worship him in his house and then forget all about him when they leave. It's always been that way, since the beginning. If you read the Minor Prophets, you'll find that out. And Israel tried that, didn't they? Over and over, they would come to the house of God, they'd come to the temple, and they'd make the sacrifice and do the stuff and do all the things that God says to do, but they were never doing it out of a heart that loved the Lord. They were just doing it to appease their conscience, and then they'd go out and do whatever they want, and God was not okay with that. He was not okay with that, and he's still not okay with that. He's still not. What we're doing here is worshiping God, and listen, God, God knows your heart. You can fool us. And here's the thing about a facade at church and putting a church face on. Here's what, these are the kind of messages I love, because I have no idea if you're doing this. <laughs> okay? This is not between you and me at all. Because if you're faking it, I don't even know. If you're not faking it, then you need to still get some things right. <laughs> okay? And sometimes we know if we're not doing good, but sometimes we, we fake it here. And you, you put on a face, and, and even if it's not at church, you run into the, the pastor. And, and, you know, we're at the store, and you're doing something, and the pastor comes, and you're like, oh, hi, pastor. Um, you know? And you put on, I, I, so I love this, because I, I have no idea. I have no idea whether you're faking it or not. Only you and God know that. And you can, you can, you can trick me, and you can trick each other, and, uh, but, but you can't trick God. And God knows your heart, and he knows if you're putting on a facade. And what we're, listen, what we're doing here at church is worshiping God, 
And listen, our ability to truly worship God is hindered when our personal life doesn't match with our church life. And, and if, if it's a quote-unquote church life, it's not, I don't know if I'd call it church life. I'd call it personal, you know, fixing my own problems, you know, using my conscious life. But that's not church life. But you know what I'm talking about. Our, our worship is hindered when that's happening. When we only live for God at church, we're not really, listen, we're not really serving and worshiping God. We're, we're worshiping each other. Or really, we're worshiping ourselves and trying to get each other to bow to us. You know what I'm talking about? We're making ourselves the idol. Because listen, if you only worship God when, when you're at church, God, God is with you, not just at church. You know, I, 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 heard people, I hear people say this kind of thing. You said that in the church? Well, God is there when you're not at the church, too. It's not like it's worse here. I guess in some ways we want to be reverent, but you can't, you can't say that outside of church and God's okay with it. God is there all the time. Okay. All right. That wasn't even the minutes. And so Paul used in, this, in these verses these words, evermore and without ceasing, and in everything to describe the Christian life. That's pretty all-inclusive, isn't it? It's pretty all-encompassing. And these are the attitudes. These attitudes are not just suggestions, but in verse 18, the will of God. It's the will of God. And not just while you're at church, but in every aspect of your life. At church, yes. This is not licensed to be worldly in the church house, okay? If you're, okay, well, brother, the pastor says that I, I shouldn't be different when I'm here, so I'm just going to do what I do at home while I'm here. Well, no, you're, no, that's just how, how about we fix home, okay? All right? But yes, you're supposed to have these attitudes at the church, but you're supposed to have these attitudes at work and at home and when you're all by yourself because you're not really all by yourself. God is there at all times. He's there evermore. He's there without ceasing. He's there in everything. And if you're one way here and another way everywhere else, here's what you need to do. You just need to decide who you are. If you're somebody here and you're somebody at home, who do you want to be? But you can't be both. You should pick one. I remember the day. I, I was a big fake at church when I was a kid. I got saved when I was four, and I did the church thing for years. And I remember the day that I decided I'm going to be at home who I am at church. If, if the guy, if, if the, the men at the church who I was trying to please saw me at home, they'd be ashamed. And I didn't have to go and make all that right in a sense. What I had to do is just decide. I am going to be this person, the one I am at church, the one that's glorifying to God. And you need to make that decision. You cannot be five different people. Cannot. It's frustrating. It's hard. It's hard to keep that up. And eventually it's all going to blend together and fall apart. Don't just do Christian things. Be Christian. You decide to be a Christian and not just do Christian things. If each of us makes that decision, if each of us take our personal walk with God seriously, then Valley Avenue Baptist Church is going to be a healthy church. 
And Paul gives three commands that a healthy church member ought to follow. We read in the first one is in verse 16 where it says, Rejoice evermore. Evermore means at all times. Some say, well, not all the time. Why do we do that? It says, <laughs> at all times. As Christians, we are commanded by God to rejoice at all times. Let that sink in a little bit. At all times. Now, immediately when you read those words, we are tempted to think, doesn't really mean at all times. No. Similar commands are given. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, and that's not the only one. Over and over, the Bible talks about joy and rejoicing. In fact, even in, in Paul's writings, I think he mentions it 50 times or so about having joy in the Christian life. And then Philippians 4.4, 4, I love it because he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's as if Paul is saying, now, you need to rejoice at all times. Then someone says, well, what about when? And then he says, and again, I say, rejoice. Stop trying to find out reasons not to obey this command. By the way, this is a command. But what about when I'm suffering? 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. What about when men are mean to me? Do I still have to rejoice? Well, Jesus said, Blessed are they, in Matthew 5, 10-12, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, listen to this, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Well, what do you do then? Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And so there is no circumstance in your life as a Christian when you do not have the responsibility to rejoice. And it's a responsibility. It's not a suggestion, is it? Yeah. Joy and rejoicing is a theme that Paul comes back to over and over. Again, we said this about 50 times. He uses some form of the word joy or rejoice, Paul does. And if you know anything about Paul's ministry, you know that it's characterized by trials and opposition and suffering and beatings and mockings and scourgings and shipwreck and time in jail. That guy probably spent more time in jail than he did in church. But as you also know, his life was also characterized by what? Joy and rejoicing. And some of us have had some hard lives. And I don't want to discount that at all. But Paul had a pretty rough life. In fact, there was one time he thought he was dead. He, he said, I don't know, I still to this day don't know if I was dead. I was beaten so, so badly. He said, I don't know if I was in the body or out. That's pretty rough. But what did he do? Rejoice. Always. In fact, he wrote a whole book about joy. While he was chained to a wall in jail. And jail in Paul's time isn't like jail in our time. There's no TV, there's no popcorn or whatever. In jail in Paul's time meant you were you were chained to a wall, not just one hand but both hands and most most of the time both feet and you were stuck like this for however long. And your your muscles would get taut and 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 straining and it hurt and it was suffering. And you know what Paul and Silas were doing? They were singing hymns. 
and praising their God. Yeah. Yep. And everything in Paul's life was chaotic, and in the world's eyes, he had every reason to be angry, depressed, anxious, but instead, he was singing and rejoicing, even when chained to a prison wall. So mu- it was so much of a shock that the jailer got saved because of it. Yeah. And as you live the Christian life, listen, as you live, as you decide to do what we're talking about and make, take your walk with God seriously, and you want to you live your Christian life and take it serious, then what you're going to do is you're going you're gonna to find out soon that your life will begin to be characterized by trials. And your life will begin to be characterized by hardships and by persecution and by people saying stuff about you that's not true and by trying to degrade your character. You're going to find that your life, especially when looked at by the world and they were to just review your life like they did with Paul, they would say, man, that guy has a lot of problems. That guy suffers a lot. That guy goes through a lot of stuff. But you know what else they'll be able to characterize you by? Joy and rejoicing. And whenever that combination hits each other, when you have a life that's characterized by trials, but also a life that's characterized by joy, you know what that is? That is a testimony. Because our world can't do that. That is a testimony. That's why over and over it says to rejoice while you're suffering. Why? Because it's an opportunity to be a one, one uh, crazy amount of a testimony to your society as they watch you suffer but trust the Lord. And say like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And they watch this be real to you. And they wa- that's, where it, that's where it matters, right? That's where the Christian life is proven to be real or not. When you're suffering, and those around you who've been watching to see if this is fake or not, they'll find out this is real. Yeah. That's, that was Paul's life. The world looks at that and they can't understand how it's possible. How can you, listen, how can you have so much joy... They might even say it's annoying how happy you are, even though you face so many trials. And our world is dumbfounded by that. How can you rejoice in the face of persecution? And these guys are all stabbing you in the back and saying this stuff. Here's why they say that. Because all they have is this life. And if this life isn't going well, then they have absolutely no reason to rejoice. But our life isn't that way, is it? The Christian life always has reason to rejoice. Listen, think about this. <clears throat> Joy and rejoicing. Those words, aren't, they weren't invented by Jesus. Those words existed. Our world does have joy and rejoicing sometimes. Because joy, joy and rejoicing are a result, listen, of something that's important to you going well. Okay, so you've made something important to you. That's going well. That is cause for joy. You see? And there's a level of rejoicing if things are going well in your life. You rejoice if you get a pay raise. Amen? Mm-hmm. That's okay. You can do that. You rejoice if you and your family are healthy. You rejoice if a heater is fixed. Amen? You rejoice if what you have you have decided is important, is going well. You also rejoice when someone who is important to you is doing well. You rejoice when your kids are doing well. Why? Because your kids are important to you. you hopefully, you rejoice when your church family is doing well. 
And as we hear God answering prayers, we're thankful, we rejoice. Why? Because our church family is important to us. But you don't really rejoice when some random person you don't know is doing well. Like some dude in Fall City won the lottery. Yay! Okay, happy for him. They probably shouldn't be playing the lottery, by the way, but anyway. Um, but, but rejoicing doesn't really happen there. Why? Because you don't even know that person. That person has not, you're not, that person's not very important to you in that way. Are you following? You might be glad for him, but you're not rejoicing. Why are you saying all this? Well, this is why. Because if you're thinking right, listen, if you're thinking right as a Christian, the things that should matter the most to you are always going well, aren't they? They don't change. And there's always reason to rejoice. Why? Because as Christians, your joy should rest in the unchanging character of God. That's always good. And God is always good. And so there's reason to rejoice. It should rest in the unchanging love and care of God, of your God. Your joy should rest in the reality that no matter what happens in life, that your God knows. Your God knows. And He's in control isn't he? Not only does he know, he's in control, and he loves you. That should matter to you. That should be reason for rejoicing. Our joy should rest in the unchanging reality that we have an eternity with our God. And no matter how hard life gets here, we are looking forward to the blessed hope. And these things should be important to us, but, but listen, most of us know these things, but many of us don't live in constant joy, and here's why. It's because we have not truly made those things the most important things. We've not made those very important to us. If, if we're not living in joy, if we're constantly anxious, if we're ever anxious, or if we're uh, as, um, depressed or just down and out fully, then what has happened is we have not made important to us those realities. Because if those are important to us, there's reason to rejoice, you see. Many of us have not placed our joy in our God, but have chosen instead to place our joy in the volatile and ever-changing circumstances of life. Or worse yet, worse yet, have placed our joy in the sporadic opinions of others. And if, you, if, if others' opinions of us aren't going well, then we're not doing well. And if the circumstances of life aren't doing well, then we're not doing well. And if you listen, if you make these things most important to you, and the source of your joy, then here's what you're going to live, a roller coaster life. And you're going to be up, and you're going to be down. And your ups are going to be really up, and your downs are going to be really down. And your circumstances may at times be exciting and going well, and you'll be, but then you're also going to face some incredibly difficult times. And there will be times when people love you and they appreciate you and they're nice to you, but there will also be times when people say and do horrible and, and cruel things to you. And you'll be up and you'll be down. But listen, what nothing and nobody can ever take from you is this, your eternity with God. Nothing can affect that. Nobody can take that from you. Nobody can take away from you your relationship with God. Nobody can take that away from you. You can give that up. 
but no one can take that away from you. Do you know who Corey Ten Boom is? If you don't know who Corey Ten Boom is, you need to read the book Hiding Place. I, I, you have to read it. Um, I don't know how much time I have for this, but but Corey Ten Boom wasn't Jewish, but she helped Jews during the Holocaust, and she hid Jews away, and the Nazis found out. And if the Nazis find out you're helping the Jews, then in their eyes you're a Jew. And her and her sister Betty were in the concentration camp, went through horrible things, and and, and they were you know in those camps, and they were in basically slavery and 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 persecution, and here's what she said, something to this effect, I had more freedom than they did. That's what she said. Because what the Nazis could not take from Corey Ten Boom was her walk with God. And she knew that she was right with her God, and that was enough. And there was, a, there was an amount of freedom and fulfillment and joy and peace that Corey Ten Boom had. Why? Because she was right with God that those Nazi captors who had all the freedom of the world outwardly did not have. You see. Yeah. Because they can't take that from you. And if you decide that's what's most important to you, then you can always have joy, just like Paul did. Always had joy. Why? Because he knew he was where God wanted him to be, doing what God wanted him to do. And there's a fulfillment there that's way more important than anything else we're talking about tonight. Yeah. They can take your things, they can take your freedom, they can take your reputation. And during those times, there may be a level of sorrow, but they can never take away the joy and fulfillment of being right with your Creator, the joy of walking with God, the joy and excitement of living with God for all eternity. And if these things, if these things are most important to you, you may experience times of hardship and you may have a level of sorrow, but you will always be able to obey the command of God to rejoice evermore. Now hold on. Sorrow? I can experience sorrow and joy at the same time? Yeah. 2 Corinthians 6.10. As Paul said, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Even in the midst of sorrow, because things in life happen and hard things happen, that doesn't mean we have no sorrow, but still, even in the midst of a temporary worldly sorrow, undergirding that is a bedrock and a foundation of joy that cannot be taken from you. You see? And God wants his people to be a joyful people, and he gives them every reason to be. And again, I want to say this, it's a command. This is a command. It is a choice. Joy and rejoicing is not a feeling that you have no control over. It's not a chemical imbalance in your brain. It is a feeling that is a result of a decision that is based on a fact that God is good. And from that fact can be a decision that produces a feeling that we call rejoicing. You get to choose what brings you joy. You get to choose what's most important to you. And a Christian's joy does not rest upon the circumstances of life unless he chooses it to be. But the command of God is for his people to find their joy and their fulfillment in their relationship with God, their eternity with God that cannot be taken away. And so it really comes down to what have you chosen? What have you chosen to be your, your, your source of joy? That will determine whether you can follow this command. Rejoice evermore. 
The next one, verse 17, pray without ceasing. <clears throat> the Greek word that was translated without ceasing, it was used in the Greek to describe a hacking cough. <laughs> yeah. What? Let me explain. So the cough itself is not necessarily constant and uninterrupted, unless you have a really bad problem. <laughs> okay? If you have a hacking cough, you're not just coughing every second of every day. Right? If you do, you've got to go to the doctor right now. Don't come to church if that's happening. Okay? <laughs> All right? But, but, but it's always there. If you have a hacking cough, you're not coughing every second, but it's always there. It doesn't go away, and you're constantly aware of it. Right? Even when you're not actually in the process of physically coughing, you say, I have a cough. Right? That's the idea behind this word. The idea is that there needs to be, listen, a constant and consistent fellowship with God that you're constantly aware of. You see? And you may not be always in the process of actually saying words to God in prayer, but God's presence should always be at the forefront of your mind. And you should keep a constant and open line of connection, an open line of communication with God at all times. And you're walking down the street, and, you're, and you know that you're about to head into a meeting that you can't handle, and you're just walking and you're talking to God, God, help me with this. Brother Tim's working on a vehicle, and he's sitting under 2,000 pounds of metal. You probably should be talking to God about that. You see? And you're constantly aware, always aware of your need for God, always aware of the presence of God, always aware of the love of God, and that will cause you to pray to Him without ceasing. I was quick. Next, verse 18. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. It's not necessarily a call to be thankful for everything that happens to you directly. I stub my toe. Yeah! Right? It's not necessarily what you're talking about. Listen, Paul says, listen, this is very important. Paul says, in everything, give thanks. Not necessarily for everything, give thanks. There's a little bit of a difference there. But there does always, listen, there always needs to be a thankfulness for this fact that God has a plan for everything that takes place in your life. Are you following? We don't need to be thankful that we're suffering, but we do need to be thankful because we know that God is planning to use this suffering for something in the future. And it's a trust in God, isn't it? God may not have directly caused everything that happens in your life, but He does allow everything that happens in your life, and He does intend to use everything that happens in your life for good. And so in a sense, what we're saying here, and what Paul is talking about here, is having is thanking God in advance, in a sense. Like, God, I'm not thankful that this is happening, but I am thanking you in advance for what you're going to do with this. You see? Trusting that he has a plan to use everything in your life for good and for his glory. And everything is thanks. And so to live this way, to rejoice evermore, and to pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks, to live this way is not a suggestion. It is, in verse 18, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
This is a command from God. This is not just good advice that will make your life more bearable. These are God's will for every Christian. Listen, this is hard to, this is hard to swallow, but it's true. If you cannot bring yourself to rejoice, then you are outside of God's will. I'm going to say that again. It's hard to swallow, but it's right here in the Bible. I can't say it any other way. If you, in any circumstance of life, cannot bring yourself to rejoice about anything, then you are outside of God's will. And you have not made important to you what's most important. Because there is always reason to rejoice. Why? Because God is always good, and God, is always, God always loves you, and God always has a plan, and God is going to use whatever we're going through for good. And if we cannot see that, then there is a desperate problem with our walk with God. You see. If you find yourself forgetting about God's presence, then you are outside of God's will. You're not praying without ceasing, always aware of the presence of God. Red flag. If you go out throughout your day and say, oh yeah, God, I forgot about you. Not good. He needs to be at the forefront of your mind. And if he's not, the verse 18 makes clear that we are outside of God's will. And this isn't me berating you. This is me helping you to get back in God's will. If you cannot be thankful for what you are going through, knowing that God knows and knowing that God has a plan, then the Bible says you are outside of God's will. We need to learn to be thankful in all things and trust our God that He knows what He's doing and that I might not like what I'm going through, but I'm thankful. Why? Because I trust God more than I trust me. And I wouldn't be doing it this way, but I know that God knows better than me, and I'm thankful that He's going to use this for His glory and for my good. And if you cannot bring yourself to do that, then we need to work on our walk with God. You see. Our attitude and our mindset, listen, is where sin ultimately starts, isn't it? Sin starts in our attitude and in our mind. You might say, Pastor, this is pretty harsh, don't you think? You're asking quite a bit, and I just want to clear off a spot and say, I, didn't, I wouldn't have made this up. I don't even know how to make that up. The Bible is asking this of all of us. You might say, I haven't even done anything about this. I'm just struggling with the attitude about this. You're being a little bit rough. Well, listen, God is primarily concerned with your attitude. He's primarily concerned with your heart. Sinful actions are nothing more than an outward display of what has already been a sinful heart. And sinful actions that spring from a sinful attitude can look like godly actions. Right? Listen, sinful actions that spring from a sinful heart can look like godly actions, but God sees your heart. God sees your attitude. In reality, every action that springs from a sinful attitude is a sinful action. Because what matters is our heart. And we need to address our hearts and our attitude, not just our words and our actions. And we can bypass our sinful heart and on the outside fool everybody that we're doing what God wants us to do, but inwardly we're having a rotten attitude and a rotten heart, and God sees that. And by the way, God is disgusted with that, with the facade 
God wants you to deal with your heart. God loves you. And God wants your heart. God doesn't want your act. You're not, you're not impressing him with your actions. He's, he is, listen, he's interested in your heart. And so really, this is everything to do with this, isn't it? We need to examine our mindset toward God. We need to examine what we have made most important to us. If we're struggling tonight with this, then we need to decide what's most important to me. You get to choose what's important to you. We need to examine whether or not we truly live with a constant awareness of the presence of God and our dependence upon Him. We need to examine if we truly trust that God is in control and can and plans to work everything out for our good. Do we believe these things or do we not? Or do we only believe these things when the outward is going well? You see. And so to live this way, here's what it requires. Here's what it requires. A thriving and personal relationship with God. To live this way requires a genuine realization that God is real and His Word is true. And we need to line our life up with that reality. By the way, these things should characterize our lives. When people think of us, here's what they should think. Man, that guy is always full of joy. What's the deal with that guy? They should think, that guy is always talking about God. And it's annoying. That's what our world should say. Our God, that guy is always so thankful about everything. That is should when, when they think of you, those, those should be the first thoughts that pop into their mind. These attitudes should be normal in the life of a Christian. These should be normal. This should be something that we all just say, well, yeah. Unfortunately, though, listen, unfortunately, a Christian who lives this way sticks out, even among other Christians, unfortunately. Right? If someone's always thankful, someone's always full of joy, someone's always talking about God in every sentence, then they stick out. And they ought not to stick out. The culture of our church should be such that it's normal for us to be joyful and abnormal to have an angry or bitter spirit. If there's a, me- a church member who has an angry and bitter spirit, they should feel out of place, not the one who's always full of joy. When we come together and we're talking, and we, and we can't talk without without like being bitter about something or angry, and the guy who's full of joy has to leave. That's the problem, right? Our culture should be one of joy, not one of anger and bitterness. It should be normal for our conversations to revolve around God. It should be normal for us to be thankful and optimistic, and it should be abnormal for us to have a complaining and negative spirit. That should be abnormal for Valley Avenue Baptist Church. And again, it's not just an outward show so that nobody's on our case, right? But flowing. This adi- these attitudes need to flow from a thriving, personal relationship with our God. And again, I say, all of us are struggling with this at times in our life. Maybe some of us are getting hit with all three of these at once and a little bit overwhelmed. That's because we're people. We're going to fluctuate, you know. 
But this is where we're headed, isn't it? This should be our goal. And I I want to caution you that if, if you're hearing these things and you're like, I'm not, I can't, can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Let's not have that attitude. This is what we're striving for. And what we need from this is to, is to decide that God is most important to me and that I'm going to live in a way, not just at church and when I'm around godly people, but I'm going to decide that I will be a Christian who is fully aware of God's presence, who, who's trusting in God and his providence, and who is going to be joyful because I know that I have an eternity with God to look forward to, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to cultivate my walk with God. And if we all do that, then what we'll have at Valley Avenue Baptist Church is a healthy church. And it all starts with a healthy church membership. We get right with God, don't we? And you might be here today and you might say, wow, I've got some things to work on. And here's the cool thing about all of this. This is, this is all can be fixed in one prayer, can't it? If you're serious, if you're serious, this can be fixed in one prayer where you come to God and say, God, I've, not been, I've been struggling with joy. God, I've been struggling with thankfulness. God, I've been struggling with, with keeping you in the forefront of our mind, and I let the temporary things of this world just always bombard my mind, and I never think of you, and I'm struggling this way. God, I need your help. And, and then you'll get up from the pulpit, having made no, no outward decisions, but listen, listen, in your heart you have. And that's what God's concerned about. And you can be fully right with God when you leave this building fully intending to live a life of joy and thankfulness and trust in our God. But tomorrow morning, we're going to have to do it again. And tomorrow about 2 o'clock, remember how we pray without ceasing? Oh God, you know that I'm struggling with joy right here. Help me to get my mind right. See? This is going to have to be a constant battle. It was for Paul. Read Romans 7. Paul struggled with this. He's not coming at this from a, from a vantage point of superiority. Neither am I. We all struggle with this. But we don't give up the battle, do we? And we keep fighting this battle day in and day out. We fight our flesh. and We fight the pulls of, of our flesh, of, of, of the world that says, forget about God and just live it up for yourself. You know what? If it's hard for you, you just go ahead and make a pity party for yourself. You know what? You don't have to be thankful because, because you deserve better than this. And we, and we, have to resist, we have to resist those temptations to get our mind right, rejoicing evermore, praying without ceasing, and in everything, giving thanks. Because God is good. He's a joyful. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that it is so relevant, Lord, words that were penned 2,000 years ago. Lord, to a people who struggled in ways that we would never struggle are so relevant today. And you know who we are. You know our sinful flesh and the poles of our flesh. But even as the psalmist wrote, or the hymn, the hymn writer wrote, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, and there's a constant pull away from you. Help us to battle for that. Help us to battle for our walk with you. Help us to keep our mind focused where it needs to be on the things of you and to live a life full of rejoicing and thankfulness and faith. So would you do that for our church and work in my life? We love you. Bless my prayer. Amen. Let's stand.